Warning, the following episode may contain explicit language. Also, we're going to take a lighthearted look at corpse theft. I feel like that should be mentioned up front for some reason. Two men have entered into a rather grim profession and are delivering their latest procurement to the anatomy professor of the local medical school in 1820s Edinburgh. Edinburgh? Edinburgh? Yeah, nailed it. (sighs) Gentlemen, it's late, and so are you. Where have you been? I was expecting you over an hour ago. Sorry, sir. We came as soon as we could. It took a little longer to, uh... To dig up the body. It seems they've been keeping watch more often in the graveyard, you see. Sounds slightly more Irish. Well, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) You're so too British. That's what got me. I was like, (laughs) oh. Can't just stroll in there and get at it with my shovel, as it were. Sometimes it takes time for the opportunity to use it. Uh, Never mind. I'd rather not know, if I'm being honest. What have you brought for my students this time? As you can see, Doctor... It's a fine specimen of a male in his 40s. As freshly buried as they come. Couldn't be any fresher if you picked him off a corpse bush, you see. Uh, I dare say he looks almost healthy. What, uh, what happened to him? How did he, how did he die? Well, he, um, he, uh, yeah, he, uh, uh, he died of a broken heart, I'm afraid. Yeah, tale as old as time. Really poor, lad. Uh, when did this happen? An hour ago? How on earth did you dig him up so cleanly? There's not a spot of dirt on him. Yeah, yeah, well, well, thing about that is... Yeah, well, see, he fell off a carriage. Yes, yes, on his way to the graveyard. Buggy wheel just hit a rut and sent him flying. Happened so fast, no one noticed. Oh, no one except for us, I suppose. That sounds exceedingly plausible. So, the regular acquisition fee, then? I'd say that seems fair to me. I would. Given the expedience of this purchase, I'll allow that your fee seems almost reasonable. Say, uh, hold on a minute, is he, is he breathing? Breathing? No, no, I don't see how that's possible. No, not breathing. You're just seeing the candlelight play off the shadows. You must be tired, Dr. Knox. We're so sorry for keeping you up so late. I can clearly see that he's breathing. No, no, he isn't. Well, at most, it's a death rattle. <clears throat> Bark! Oh, dear God, what have you done? Sorry about that. Well, I'm happy to say now that if there was any doubt before, surely we can all agree now that he's dead. Right, I'm sure we can put that concern to rest, as it were. Uh, so, where were we? I do believe we were talking about acceptment of payment. Right, right, well, then I suppose we'll we'll take that and show ourselves out. Wait! Uh, uh, yes? You can't be serious to think I'm going to pay full price for this. Beg your pardon? You caved in his skull. I will not pay full price for a damaged corpse. Right, well, mm, let's say, mm, looks like about 10% off. I'd say 20% off is more fair. I can already see his brains, after all. Yeah, all right, fine. And are you forgetting something? Forgetting what? Right, right, your, uh, your punch card. Well, looks like next one's free. I told you the punch card was a really silly idea. It's custom engagement. We're not having this argument again. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, I, I do like the punch card quite a bit. Thank you. Hrumpf. Hmm. <laughs> Hrumpf. have a punch card for everything. Yeah, totally. So many We look at cases through our history. This is Poor Historians, a podcast delving into the archives of medical history. As three practicing emergency physicians, we will explore the unusual ailments, treatments, physicians, and all related material having to do with the healing arts. I'm Max, and I'm joined here by my good friends and colleagues, Aaron and Mike. Gentlemen, do you have any fond memories that you'd like to completely ruin today? (laughs) Of anything? (laughs) Yeah, no. 
Anything, any, any fond memory you would like to trash today? Uh, like sunsets. Um, <laughs> There's so like many. First time seeing one of my pops, kids being born. As non sequiturs, that seems it'll be clear later. So we could ruin all of these things. <laughs> no, just in one just, fell swoop. Just, just Aaron trashing a memory I have that was. No, no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta ruin each one individually by attaching it to something that you have no control over but feel guilty about. Ooh, it's like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. That's a good exactly. movie. Like Write that. the screenplay. That's a good movie. I think oh somebody God. wrote that screenplay. Screenplay. God, it'll be a long episode. Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to remind everyone that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide medical advice. It exists only to entertain. Please don't do any of the things we discuss in today's episode. Theft is very much a crime. All right. Well, today's topic is going to get a bit grim, as you may have picked up from the skit, but I thought we'd start off with a bit from memory lane. Gross anatomy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, to me, it's such an iconic rite of passage. It was in the the old basement of the medical school I went to, and we were the last ones to use that room before they went to their new digs. So I definitely remember. The, I toured that basement. That yeah. basement was scary. I mean, <laughs> was, that was like, it was scary. Yeah. It could go straight into a, into a, a horror movie set for sure. You wouldn't even oh. have to really change anything. Mm-hmm. I definitely remember the smell and not the, it had like that yellowish green hospital tile yeah, on, was, on the uh-huh. walls. Um, but you know, really most of all the cadaver himself. So this, I remember him as a, a definite person, like who really, I felt like taught me how humans are built, yeah, which is a big deal. That is so. fair. I, we, we, because it's such an odd, as you mentioned memories, it's, it's especially odd because it's an odd task that you have to do and you are, you are going piece by piece through this dissection and it's, you know, you, you are spending what, three months almost with this, or it was at least two months straight with the same cadaver in our case, if I remember correctly. And, uh, so you, you do humanize them. So we had, ours had a name and we had a whole backstory and it's sort of a way to deal with the strangeness of dissecting a fellow of your species, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, uh, my, my best memory though, because especially cause it's topical this time of year. So to, for people who have never taken anatomy class, there's usually a written portion. There's a practical portion. So you take a written test on identifying things in a practical portion where you actually go into the lab, they put a pin in a certain structure and you have to name what it is. And that's, it's, you know, sometimes it's easy, but a lot of things, of course, are, they can be difficult or obscure. And so you <clears throat> would go in and study by going in after hours and like trying to pick out the structures. So you knew what they look like in different and everybody's different specimens and cadavers. And so I, uh, I didn't like going in there when there was a bunch of people in there because everybody would just start talking and they'd be hanging out and you wouldn't get anything done. So I would go in uh, like late, usually like 9 p.m. or beyond. And I'd put on headphones. I had an iPod, like the first iPod at the time. Nice. And I had like a certain mix Richie I would play. Rich. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I had a certain mix I would play. But once you would set it to play, I would never touch it because my hands were always covered in cadaver yeah <laughs> and so you'd put the earbuds in and then like you just you wouldn't touch it again till the end where you took it take everything off so whatever played played and uh i had it on a classical music mix in the the genius algorithm pulled a song from the hannibal soundtrack but that song was nothing but hannibal doing a monologue so there was a moment when <laughs> no, i was no. like 9 p.m at night surrounded by 30 cadavers with Hannibal Lecter giving a monologue in my ear and I couldn't really do much about it because I didn't want to touch my iPod. <laughs> so I just kind of sat there in the moment with how strange that was. And sure enough, it finished. I heard a door close, looked around, couldn't find anybody, and then like spun around like out of a movie and a janitor was like just behind me. Gave me a... <laughs> definitely t- made my heart Scared jump. Scared the heck out of you. Don't, you don't expect other th- no. people to be standing in there. No. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of this time of year, we had a special vat that was opened only on Halloween. Um, and it was all, you know, specific segments of the body. So they had um, heads and necks that were cut on plane and like right through the middle. <laughs> Just, you know, it was still done respectfully and you still like you went through normal class, but they just had this this sort of open. Oh, man, it was it was a little bit terrifying at times those are memories how about you mike anything that you remember um none i actually yeah i'm like a one 
cell microorganism. Like literally the last <laughs> minute, I cannot recall. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, in, in, in modern medicine, we've moved towards willed cadavers. Um, and many schools have a remembrance of life ceremony after the class is done to acknowledge this sort of gift from the deceased. Uh, that was the case for us. We had, uh, we could actually find out who our cadaver was if we wanted and see the records. And, and then we had a, uh, remembrance ceremony after the class, but it was not always so. Thus, our topic today, the invasion of the body snatchers. Uh, so the key, of course, to dissection, this fundamental aspect of learning Western medicine is a cadaver. And that is predictably where the trouble starts. So way back when, in Bronze Age Egypt, around the time civilizations invented laws and thus had criminals, the criminals supplied all the cadavers, uh, sometimes not even by dissection, but by vivisection, which is just way worse because the viv part of that word means alive. So that was fun to read about. But that would be it'd be hard to concentrate. <laughs> it would. But maybe that wasn't the primary goal of the quote unquote scientist at the time. I don't know. So. After that, in Greek, Roman, and early modern times, they didn't really use much dissection at all. And then it came back in the Renaissance. It started to grow in acceptance and dissection came back. Um, almost always at that time supplied by criminals. So when we talked about one of our prior episodes, you know, these, we remarked on the death penalties in the Renaissance that were creative and involved all sorts of different ways to kill people. But um, what they would do is sometimes they would sort of double the executions. So uh, <laughs> there'd be you know, two or three ways to die at the same time, usually in series. So they might be drawn and quartered and then displayed or then killed and then dipped in tar and hung. And one option was you'd be killed somehow and then dissected, which they felt made the punishment worse because it would affect your afterlife prospects. So instead of changing the prison sentence, I guess they just added on deaths. <laughs> I think they were almost always drawn and quartered after being hanged and already dead. Are you, you saying you know that to be the case? Yeah, I believe that to be the case. <laughs> yeah, I didn't witness don't. any of this, but... I know you're a few years older than me, but... Yeah. No, but I think they're already dead. Because I was always thinking like, God, what a terrible, absolutely terrible, horrific way to go. But they're, they're yeah. usually already hanged and dead. And it's hanged, not hung. Isn't that? I'm saying it properly. <laughs> oh. So, uh... Well done. Uh, Andreas Vesalius was an Italian nobleman who was called the father of modern anatomy. He pioneered the anatomical view of medicine through dissection, but it looks like all of his cadavers were sourced from criminals. And he got a ton of stuff right that was previously wrong because, um, you know, before they weren't really doing this as much. So it, it wasn't known if blood circulated. Uh, people had this idea about perforations in the middle of the heart. There was a debate on the location of the physical soul. There's all sorts of stuff that just, you know, didn't sort of line up with the way we are actually built. You know, I, I missed the, uh, I missed the lecture in medical school. Where is the physical soul? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's in the. <laughs> and every time we spit a little bit leaks out. <laughs> I don't think that's a normal thing that happens. I, I, it was the same article I read about being drawn and quartered. <laughs> okay. As fair, the location of the, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. So he straightened out a tremendous amount with regards to circulation, what nerves did, what they were built like. Uh, some people thought they were hollow before this. Um, nerves, vessels, and ligaments, he kind of separated all those. So a lot of those things got all sort of figured out. And so because of this, it, anatomy became more and more important and students and teachers needed more and more practice as more and more schools opened. And this opens the door on the practice of body snatching, uh, which re reached a peak in, you know, just right on point, uh, true to form, 18th and 19th century England and America. So the first recorded episode of actual body snatching, even though I said that's when it reached its peak, was in 1319 in Italy and was completed, it seems, by the students themselves for a local anatomist. So it was a... a so, so that was <laughs> yeah, body snatching before yeah. it was cool? Like that was, you were back into yeah, body snatching right. you were, way before it hit You knew him back before. Yeah, yeah it didn't have a name Before yet. it got big. Yeah, that's when they started doing it. It's just, it's like a... Pre Malone. <laughs> it's like on your, uh, your, your supply list for school. Just, wow. you know, bring your scalpel and your pen and your cadaver. 
and mm-hmm. your um, yep. your lager trapper keeper. So I really picked up steam with multiple schools in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just going to move past lager trapper keeper. That's a great yeah, reference. I'm just going to move right past. I, I was never cool enough to have one of those. I always wanted one. I wanted one. Like the, yeah, I, yeah, they're around. They probably buy one now. Anymore. The kids aren't using them. They don't. Could you imagine if that was what you did with your first paycheck when you got your real job? You like walked into <laughs> Office Depot or Office Max or whatever. Grab just with pride, <laughs> grab that trapper keeper, and put it down, and like, put it <laughs> on the card. Like a like American Express platinum <laughs> like, card like for it. Wasn't just... a big deal. Bring it out in in your next like medical director meeting. Open With it the up. <laughs> folders Let me inside. Find my folder, my nursing folder. All right. Please do that. So really picked up steam with multiple schools in London, Edinburgh, Baltimore, and other major centers that just kept needing subjects. And the reason these schools couldn't get cadavers in these countries was primarily cultural. So in Eastern Europe and and Paris, that's the articles apparently lumped those two together culturally. There wasn't a problem because the unclaimed poor were just very pragmatically given to the schools above board. They just said, well, nobody claimed this person. You can have them for, for your school. But that didn't square with religious and cultural beliefs in the U.S. and England. Uh, many at the time and I don't know, maybe still, who knows, maybe believe that an intact body would be used in the afterlife, like directly. So in my head just jumped a picture of like an unclaimed (laughs) body auction, like an auctioneer in old timey England with a bunch of bodies behind him (laughs) trying to like hawk one at a time. Is that, is that what, how it, is that how it was when you were reading about it? I think, um, isn't that what happens to unclaimed? I don't know. Evidence. I think unclaimed evidence is destroyed, but unclaimed houses are auctioned you know, off. Yeah, okay, it probably would be an auction. It'd be kind of weird to sell evidence. You're right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There, I would guess that there were probably services that you know were paid a bunch of different kinds of bribes. But even with this belief, the actual act of taking a body out of a grave wasn't technically illegal. Nobody had ever passed a law that said you can't do that. Stealing property, you couldn't do that. That's grave robbing, which is not body snatching. But the body was considered unclaimed. So the jewelry or clothing or anything the body was buried in was property, but the, the body was, was not. So it's worth remembering that uh, what the 1700s and 1800s were like, because it's, it's good practice for what these people were actually doing. There's no science at all to prevent decomposition. So there was definitely a premium on, on fresh bodies. Um, uh, so to do this, students were sometimes used as they were in the 1300s. In fact, there's a record of a Scottish school where tuition could be paid in corpses. Oh, you said students could be used. I was. You were, you were worried I was going someplace even darker than, than you thought? Well, I, you said the students could be used. I was like, they don't pass the test. <laughs> they are terrible. a specimen. Because I totally failed my first anatomy quiz. I, w- I would have been. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, so, But they came up with a job. So there's a job called a resurrectionist, which I think is <laughs> that's kind of tongue in cheek. Um, or a body snatcher. And that's what they were. Um, Ambrose Pierce, a famous satirist of the time, defined this job as, quote, one who supplies the young physicians with that which the old physicians have supplied the undertaker, which is, that's, I got to give it to him. That's pretty good burn. These people would work in groups at night. They would look for fresh graves or send spies to funerals uh, to sort of figure out who had just been just been interred and then they'd quickly dig up the newly dead. So they'd, they'd actually, so there's, they're just having the the service and there's like these two <laughs> haggard, dirty guys standing off to the side with their hats in their hand or base. Yeah. You'd think, I mean, one of the articles I read said they use women for this. Like, so they, they'd, they'd hire, you know, young women who I guess were less suspicious to, to dress nicely and go to the funeral. And people probably just wondered like who the lost niece was. And then they'd tell them where the, the grave was. I don't know. I think I know the answer to this, but why wouldn't the schools just, rather than paying a body snatcher, try to pay the family? Um, because that would run into these beliefs. So families, the families would, would almost never want to give up their loved one, which, you know, I mean, at the time makes sense. I mean, if they were trying to keep their, their relatives, uh, have, the, have them have a nice burial, they, they didn't feel that was, yeah, they just believed that was taboo. So they, they go dig a hole down to the head really quickly, and then use a hook or a rope to pull the body up after they broke into the the coffin. 
then they'd put the clothes or the jewelry back into the coffin so it wasn't illegal. That's key. So you got to avoid the robbing part <laughs> and then take the body off to be sold after they, they filled the dirt back in. And these people made a good living. Wages were up to five or six times that of a common laborer. Um, obviously, as is always the case, the poor were most vulnerable because the rich could afford to try and counter the practice. So there was this whole cottage industry of ways to like foil the grave robbers or the so oh nope, sorry, the body snatchers. So they'd have guards. There were double or triple coffins that were sold. They had, you know, metal corpse belts that were inside the coffin that would try to keep them from getting pulled up. Um, they'd fortify the burial site. So they'd put glass on top of the walls around it. There was a mention once of like a little tripwire attached to a gun. So like if you like a, they booby trap the, <laughs> the, the grave Jewish cemeteries were, were favorite targets. They were often and out of the way places in, in most of Europe. And then Jewish custom also mandated burial within 24 hours. So they were especially recent. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> so it already kind of a terrible sort of discussion, but it's time to really remember some notable characters because there, there were some. So some of the anatomists that claim the bodies really sort of leaned into this role as uh, kind of fighting against the taboo. So there was a surgeon, Sir Astley Cooper, which if that name sounds familiar, unfortunately, it is the person that so many things in the body are named after uh, who practiced in oh, Cooper's ligament, right? Uh, Cooper's ligaments are in the breast tissue, aren't they? The attention. That's right. Yeah, you're right. Good, good memory. Uh, it's in House of God too. There's like a reference. Anyway, that's really kind of weird and creepy. But yeah, you knew that really quick. <laughs> well, <laughs> what can I say? Boobies. <laughs> um, my favorite bird, by the way, the blue-footed booby. I mean, so Sir Astley Cooper, um, 1800s London, was a huge proponent of anatomy. Cooper's droopers. Sorry, I just remembered that. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that now. All right, you can, please, Aaron, No, that's move on. fine. Uh, I love that. I love that. Cooper's Troopers. <laughs> I was trying to remember. I was like, what was it? There's a section of my brain that just woke up. <laughs> that hides all the mnemonics that you've ever that's learned? Yeah. yeah. It worked. It was a far corner. It worked. So he took it really far. Um, there's some reports that he dissected both his parents and relatives. Nice. <laughs> so, which is, you know, what was the surgeon that we talked about that operated on his mom's gallbladder? I mean, I guess it's kind of the same sort of thing, but just way worse. That was only like seven episodes ago. That was, uh, was that that was Liston, right? Uh, uh, no, it was no. it was the cocaine guy, Halstead. Yeah, it was Halstead. Okay. Halstead, yeah. We're, we're great. Yeah. We're doing great. Our own episodes. Um, well, this uh, this podcast is not for learning purposes, so. <laughs> we obviously yeah. aren't. He tracked his own patients through their family doctor, and then he actually tried to go find the body once they died to see how he had done. <laughs> so I guess <laughs> um, he would track medical curiosities so he could sort of get them before someone else did for, for dissection. Um, and, you know, true to form, they had public dissections. So there would be this there's dissections would be kind of carnival atmosphere and, and people would come and see them and, you know, see the wonderful world of the, the human body. An Edinburgh anatomist called Robert Knox really took it too far around 1828. So along with uh, two uh, entrepreneurial men named William Burke and his friend William Hare, which is probably why they're friends, both bills. <laughs> two men, <laughs> the two men showed up with a, a fresh <laughs> cadaver one night and asked Knox if he'd like to buy it. I guess, you know, he had that reputation saying that the the dead man's family had offered him up for sale, which, again, at the time, that would be kind of uh, suspicious. Thus, the whole reason why body snatchers mm -hmm. exist. But uh, in reality, the man had died in a boarding house run by Hare and had been unable to pay his hotel bill. So they figured that this was a, a fair compromise. Well, it's a, it's a compromise, <laughs> yes, at least. I don't know if it's yeah. fair. Huh. Fair is a strong word, but uh, there's an amazing movie about this Uh I remember watching, I, think, I can't remember if it's on Netflix or what, but it's, uh, I think it's called Burke and Hare and it's a Simon Pegg movie. And, and it's so the guy who did uh, Gollum, right? Isn't it, um, is one of the actors? Ooh, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, you might be, I, you might very well I've be not right. seen it, but I just, I'm I just Googled it when you, when you told up. me, so. But anything with Simon mm -hmm. Pegg is good. Yeah. Yeah. It's fancy. It's very British. Well, we seem mm -hmm. to like those things, so. 
So once they figured out they could make money selling bodies, they took things one step further and just sort of helped a few people along who were staying at the boarding house as well. So they did, they, you know, which I, I bet it happened other times too. They did this 15 or so times and Knox happily paid them for all these fresh cadavers. Um, <laughs> eventually they were apprehended and, and being burked became slang for being smothered to be sold as a cadaver, which was the way they killed their victims. That's not a good verb. It's not, but it's also amazing that it's actually a verb that people remember as in common parlance. So it must not be the only time it happened. Sure. Sure. So Burke was hanged and, and then poetically they decided to have him dissected. So he got shipped off to the Royal college of surgeons in Edinburgh and his skeleton is still on display there. Knox was not criminally tried at all, but it came out during the trial that some of the bodies he was presented with were still bleeding. So he kind of <laughs> lost a fair amount of his reputation as a good actor. And it, he also had a bunch of creepy details that came out. So he apparently preserved the cadaver of a, a prostitute in his lab in a kind of giant vat of alcohol or formaldehyde or something like that. And yeah, he was a creep. So a huge man, or sorry, a huge mob burned a straw man of Knox and effigy in front of his house. And there's a big old uproar that probably contributed to the eventual fix for this whole problem that had been lingering for a century. So the Anatomy Act of 1832 made this practice illegal and legalized the use of unclaimed poor for cadaver labs and, and also paved the way eventually for donation. I like to imagine the British like House of Parliament when they had to have the argument over whether or not they should make an a law that says you should not steal bodies because there had to have been pro and con sides. Oh right? yeah. Well, they love to, they love to argue. And as we've seen, everything has two sides. So I'm sure people wanted to fight about it just to fight. So. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. Debate starts in the house of Lords on July 19th, 1832, while they try to pass legislation to address the problems of body snatching in medical school anatomy labs. All right, all right, quiet down. I'd like to call in this parliamentary session to order. First, I would like to recognize a gentleman from Old New Hampshire and Hindbrook, Mr. Waldenhop. Uh, thank you. I'd like to take this opportunity. Really? Uh, I haven't even said anything yet. I dare say that is true. The honorable gentleman from Old New Hampshire on Tynebrook indeed has failed to meet his obligation to convince this parliament that his so-called Anatomy Act of 1832 is worthy of true consideration in these chambers. Well, if the affable gentleman from Duke Stratfordson will give me a moment, perhaps I could explain why it is necessary to legislate an end to the illegal trade in corpses that is plaguing our fair society. Does the contrarian but aggressively polite Mr. Lewis Winthorpe III wish to file a motion against this proposed act? I do indeed, Mr. Prime Minister. This act is one that is in search of a problem to solve that does not exist. I must ask in full earnest whether or not the seemingly incredulous gentleman has indeed gone mad. Are you not aware of the recent rash of corpse thefts in the city? These are to feed the insatiable appetite of medical students and anatomists for freshly dissected specimens. This garnish practice must necessarily come to an end, and I'm sure you will agree. I, for one, must commit to disagreeing with Mr. Walden Hopfor. I have not heard even one complaint from my constituency about this very matter. I feel he is unreasonably casting aspersions on the small business owners in my districts to shoulder the burden created by the poor behavior of an assuredly small number of malcontents. Well, to be clear, the seemingly incredulous gentleman raising the concern are arguing that we do not need a law to stop the unregulated snatching of paupers' bodies, conscripted, as it were, into forced service into the medical students in similar ilk of this country. I'm merely pointing out that we don't necessarily need laws for everything. Too much regulation will stifle the entrepreneurial spirit of those mom-and-pop businesses that presently thrive in this free marketplace. I cannot believe that you would be in favor of unregulated corpse selling. This is absurd. Are you daft? We will have no such name-calling or such verbal ad hominem assaults in this chamber. I would ask that the wantingly to be reasonable yet mistaken under the most honorable terms, gentlemen, issue an immediate and ardent redress of this ill-conceived trespass against the impeccably refined contrivances of this body's civilized proceedings. You lost me there, mate. Say you're sorry for calling him daft. It wasn't very nice. Ah, fine. To the almost 
tolerable gentleman. I'm sorry. That's better. Where were we? I believe I was still considering whether or not to accept that apology. Wait a second. What's in your breast pocket? What now? Right there in your front pocket. Is that a... Is that a promissory note? A what? This? Uh, yes, I suppose it is. It is a promissory note. In the amount of 500 pounds from Burke and Hare, anatomy specimen procurement specialist and life coaching services. What on earth is this, then? You've been paid off. No, 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 no. This is not what it seems. You, you see... See? I see clearly, all right. I would like to motion that the gentleman referred to formally as honorable is officially recognized to this body politic to be firmly in the pocket of big corpse and shall henceforth be deemed misrepresentative rat bastard, lobbyist shill that he has shown himself to be. Why, you? I'll not sit idly by. Oh, yes, you will. Mr. Waldenhop is correct. You are indeed deserving of the title of rot bastard. It is obvious that you are the bad guy here. Fine, but I, I dare say, don't come crawling to Duke Stratfordson the next time you need a body for your medical schools. Good luck finding another town with the necessary infrastructure to deliver in that segment of the economy. We don't want your corpses. We don't need your corpses. It's weird that you're so invested in selling corpses. More corpses for me, then. I heard that. Well, I said it loudly. No, I know why it smells so bad there. You, you get used to it. Do you, though? <sighs> no, no, you don't. It smells like corpses. Yeah, awful, really. Well, I, for one, am amazed that the transcripts from that interaction survived after all these years. Good thing we in the United States were without such nefarious practices. Where were we? Well, uh, the United States had a very similar problem during oh. that same time period. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes. Baltimore itself became a true center of excellence for body snatching in the early 1800s. Um, so there were a bunch of schools there, for one. Uh, the climate was temperate as well, which meant you could dig people up for a longer portion of the year. And lastly, it was a railroad center, so you could ship cadavers easily so they I feel like you're implying there's a harvesting season yeah <laughs> well, yeah, when that pumpkin spice so. latte hits it's time to get some bodies <laughs> well they couldn't get bodies during the winter in new england because the ground would freeze so there was kind yeah. of a, there was kind of a season so you know just a bunch of harvard students feverishly digging up bodies at the end of the autumn to, to try to beat the frost so Cadavers would be loaded in barrels of whiskey and shipped, which led to the phrase a stiff drink because the whiskey was sold at a discount after the cadaver was delivered. Aaron, I need is that true? I need that to be true. <laughs> it is not second sourced. I at least but it's definitely something that I read from an authoritative part of the <laughs> part of the part that, of the internet. That sounds right? pretty solid then. Yeah, totally, totally it's not, legit. It's not all that surprising though. There's that like one bar up in Canada where they sell shots with the toe in it. Have you seen that? No, I, so, uh, I, yeah, priest I don't toe. remember the whole story, but it's basically like some guy had a fr it got frostbite and his toe fell off, but it was like perfectly mummified. And so they can't they apparently he is either a patron there. I think I, I could have looked it up, but I didn't. So the toast is there in alcohol and they pour shots. They put the toe in the shot glass and you drink the alcohol around the toe and there's a big penalty for drinking the toe. Hmm. <laughs> What I'm saying is bodies in whiskey barrels is not a, not a hard stop for everybody. Yeah, apparently not. Well, you know, it was cheaper. So and it's, it's whiskey still. So it's whiskey. I'm sure the whiskey of that day was amazingly refined. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially from Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> the the well-known sure Baltimore whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't Edinburgh think of this? I mean, really. Johns Hopkins became the nexus of cadaver procurement. Uh, they were nearby what's called potter's fields, uh, which were large poppers graves, essentially, as well as an asylum that was associated with the university that would bury patients in shallow graves with pine coffins, almost as if they sort of knew this was going to happen. <laughs> These areas were routinely raided, sometimes nightly. And there was, again, a huge trial, though, when a, a girl was exhumed, perhaps overzealously. So it sounds like there was a case that was the, the John Bonet of her time, and it involved a, a crazy character called simply Professor Jensen. Oh, boy. So Professor Jensen was a 45-year-old, quote-unquote, medical student. <laughs> <laughs> 
who just couldn't somehow seem to graduate uh, from Denmark. <laughs> he was actually in charge of the body snatcher squad of Johns Hopkins. So he was maybe you're getting so he wasn't like really a medical student. He was just like a guy who no, went he, there. And, he was he's like the ah oh, really um. I was think he, he like the Polly Shore of the movie Son in Law? Yes. Like he just. <laughs> Yeah, he's just he like just starting new majors campus. all the time, and he, he stays in medical school forever. Yeah, or they felt unsafe sending him out to the world, so he stayed there just so they could keep an eye on him. <laughs> That's fair. And they started it's doing probably... all this crap behind the scenes. Oh, I, I mean, it helped them though. So I think there was definitely it was probably a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of arrangement for him. In uh, 1881, Jane Smith, an aristocratic girl who was maybe 10 or 12, died unfortunately because it was the 1800s. That part isn't weird at all. Her aunt had a nightmare the night she was buried that she had been taken from her grave. And sure enough, her body was missing when they went to check the next day. So they went, they went to the grave site and there was a, a silver cross from Jane's grandmother that was on top of this freshly exhumed grave. So apparently they initially got the wrong grave and <laughs> took both her grandmother, who had been in the ground for a long time, and, and Jane. And the police asked around and reports surfaced of an unusual cadaver at one of the local schools. And the witnesses had been sort of struck by this cadaver because it was so healthy and appear, appearing compared to the paupers they normally used. And this led to a grand jury that indicted Jensen and accomplices. So he was found not guilty. Hmm. Uh, and similarly to in the UK, there were few consequences to the practice in general, even when doctors were found dirty handed. So in Jensen's case, uh, Johns Hopkins found a powerful attorney to defend him and the anatomist that had commissioned Jensen was later caught dirty handed digging up bodies himself. Well, so it, it I'm, just... I'm glad that nowadays we've ironed out all the kinks in the uh, justice system. Yeah, yeah, that nothing like that ever happens again. I mean, the rich and powerful are held to account most of the time. So the uh, the need was such that there was a whole department of body snatching in the basement of the anatomy lab, uh, and there was a giant man nicknamed King Bill who coordinated exhumation, packaging, and shipping of cadavers in the basement of Johns Hopkins. I just I need to know more about King Bill. I know that's that's the one. I that's just a show waiting to happen. It it lasted uh, quite a bit longer than in the UK. There was there was a case of a Dr. William Cathel who uh, his horse drawn carriage was pulled over one night by the police, and he was found <laughs> drunk in the carriage with three of his medical students and a fresh cadaver they had just dug up of a young woman that was in the carriage with him, with a pipe stuck in her mouth. Um, just <laughs> really awful there and they didn't i was arrest thinking anybody. yeah so that was to disguise her i just was i was like envisioning <laughs> this huge pipe like why would they have a pipe in her but she had probably like a corn cob pipe in her mouth like nothing I, yeah, to see I, here this is an alive <laughs> body this is a live person yeah i think that's probably really forgiving of the body snatchers i think i also want to know wait so bigger he was in the care like was he in the the, the coach of the, or the the cabin of the carriage i mean who was driving the carriage was it maybe she was <laughs> like <laughs> weekends at bernie's put her in the driving seat with the with the with the pipe nothing to see here it's all fine um i'm assuming it was probably an open you know like one of those carriages that looks like a pickup truck maybe the students were in the back with the with the cadaver i i don't i don't know the there cadaver sitting i'm telling you from the description as, of this is sitting with a corn cob pipe in the mouth and they, why did they get drunk? Maybe just because it was like, this is wow. weird. I mean, you you realize that you're like, you just dug up a body and you're you're taking yeah. the body back to the, the school and you, you've got to make conversation and deal with what you're doing. So I, I feel like yeah. being drunk is probably the easiest way to do that. Yeah. And they were, you know, yeah, young. And I, it, it reminds me of, yeah, of all these sort of misguided educators now that get in trouble when they go out drinking with their students or that kind of thing like hey let's go have fun and get liquored up with my students and dig up a body so eventually there was an anatomy board created that came to the same conclusion as in the uk and and that practice fell out of favor i it's because it's the u.s you know race was a really nasty undercurrent in addition to the fact that many of the poor are vulnerable to the Baltimore practice we just talked about where people of color, um, some Southern medical schools in the antebellum South used easy access to slave cadavers as an actual selling point. So the medical Ugh. college of South Carolina boasted that the abundance of cadavers available surpassed any country that they could think of. That's a weird flex. 
Winchester Medical College requested and was given the cadavers from the hanged instigators of the famous Harper's Ferry Raid, which was an early attempt to end slavery in about the 18... Oh, gosh, I'm not going to say. Right before the Civil War. Um, And then Union troops burned the school to the ground in 1862 in retribution, and the school was never reopened. I don't Um, know anybody who went there. You're right. And at the end of the Dakota War, also in 1862, just kind of a bad year all around, 32 uh, Sioux warriors who were hanged for their part in the fighting were exhumed by a group of doctors afterwards for dissection. So, yeah, we just, you know, put that extra flavor on it. Unfortunately, there are there are places in the modern world where the practice is, is still relevant. So the city of Kolkata in northern India was the center of a bone trade selling to universities that was sort of set up uh, due to colonialism up until the 1980s. It was something that they made millions of dollars a year on. And then uh, a lot of modern controversy exists still over the traveling cadaver exhibits that were in vogue a few years ago. Um, One was called Body Worlds, another was called Bodies, the Exhibition. So I don't know if you guys went to see those. I did. Mm -hmm. It was pretty impressive. I have seen two of them. And I will I will explain the story after you continue. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, the kids were supposed to go on a field trip to these, and uh, because of things I'm about to explain, we actually protested and sent letters. So, <laughs> but so uh, a German anatomist named Gunther von Hagens invented a process called plastination that preserves cadavers in vivid detail and. These traveling exhibits made a bundle for a while. I mean, it's it's a amazing process. I mean, it you know the 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 expositions were quite stunning. But unfortunately, Body, Body Worlds was accused of accepting dubious cadavers. Um, they claim they only use willing donors, but there's also documentation that Body Worlds accepted cadavers from Russia at a time when concerns for trafficking were high, and it's suspected that many of the cadavers were homeless or poor, unclaimed, which I guess would be a step above stolen, you know, based on the history, but a small step. Very yeah, small you know, step. you know, and Russia's not really a reliable source of things that aren't sketchy, but that's really nothing compared to bodies. The exhibition, which was the other one, which makes no bones at all about the, the fact that it receives cadavers unclaimed from China. And the strong suspicion is that many of those cadavers were political prisoners that were executed and then sold to the exhibition. So the exhibits were uh, controversial enough that Florida, actually Florida Board of Anatomists asked for certificates that the cadavers were ethically obtained. The bodies, the exhibition just supplied a letter from the Chinese source that said, yeah, these bodies were all fine. Just a one page letter, no other <laughs> documentation or anything like that. So in the modern era, uh, it sounds like ethical documentation would include a death certificate and family consent and so on for each cadaver. Dr. Von Hoggins not only plastinates cadavers for the show, but also receives hundreds of bodies from Chinese medical schools, according to a PBS article. A German news outlet investigated this early on, and apparently Dr. Von Hoggins had refused bodies of political prisoners, and there's a report that he returned cadavers with bullet holes in the backs of their heads. So there's some journalism that this <laughs> transit at least occurred. And- I just, I feel so sorry telling this story now, but. Well, no, here, here's why you should. So I was going to say, so one of my, before I went to medical school, the, the, I believe literally this, the, right before I left for the summer, Body Worlds came to, at the time I, I I lived in Colorado, so it came to Denver and my, my dad's a physician. And so we wanted to go because I was just about to go to medical school and you start with anatomy. And so he wanted to take me up to this because partly we were just interested in the subject. But uh, so we walked through the whole display. I, wa- I think it was the, the the body worlds. I'm pretty sure it was the body worlds one. And so we walked through and I, and I didn't have the understanding of anatomy that I do now because I hadn't gone to school yet. But I have this very amazing memory of walking through all of these exhibits with my dad, who was like really kind of excited to show me these bits of anatomy that he knew. And so it's like this wonderful memory I have with my father and we bonded over this and, you know, over anatomy, I went on, I enjoyed anatomy. I did all this stuff. And so it held as a really warm place in my heart until you ripped it out. <laughs> just, just now it's it. an asterisk just in it. my own history book. This is the, the intro, like why you asked us about the memories. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yes. Oh my God. yes. We totally, we totally ruined, totally ruined this warm, wonderful memory. 
in the context of it, it's still a very wonderful memory. And, and yeah, uh, it was the passing of the show, torch. So Dad, I really appreciated that memory. Uh, it just turns out that like everything nowadays just <laughs> yeah, but everybody knew back then. Yeah, that Von Hagen's might have been a little sketch. Everybody knew that, right? You know, you look at those. I mean, I, I just thought I was going to a museum exhibit. It looks like one, doesn't I, it? I mean, it's oh, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's stunning. I mean, it was stunning. Yeah, it 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 did. I didn't. We didn't go because we sat out. I mean, I think it was not too hard. You had to look for it, though, right? You had to be listening to some sort of news outlet that would sort of gleefully ruin your fun. No, and, and point out these horrible. No, problems, every. I, think, I mean, I remember. I think it was in Chicago. It may have later come to Milwaukee, maybe, but it was. I don't know that there were protesters, but it was definitely on the news. And when you bought your ticket, you know, you're like. This is maybe sketchy. Are you sure you want to go? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. No. We we definitely we wrote a letter to the teachers. Or my um, my kids were in elementary school, and we we kept them home and wrote the letters of protest. Wait, the kids <laughs> went there? No. They well they they were doing a field trip, and it was to body like the rep the more reputable of the two. That's, yeah, but I yeah, think those body were, worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're the school. Wait, I think it in was elementary uh, STEM school. They were school. going. I think they were. Yeah. It's yeah. a little I mean, intense. It wasn't that, I mean, in fairness, it wasn't all that gruesome. It it's was, not uh, gruesome, though, but it's just like, these are dead bodies. These were once living humans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is the interesting part of gross anatomy mm-hmm. in general. I mean, that's kind of you're confronting mortality. So, yeah. But, you know, you're in elementary school. You don't confront mortality in a meaningful mm-hmm. way when you're... Can I ask you guys a, a question that's related? Um, so, after you were done, or during anatomy, and after you were done, how long did it take for you to be able to eat um, a Qdoba burrito, chicken burrito? Because the chicken <laughs> oh, from Qdoba no. burritos looks yeah. just like cut up cadaver muscles. Uh, I don't usually eat a chicken burrito at Qdoba, so no. I don't remember having. I had no, burrito. I could walk right out of anatomy lab and eat a full meal. Never, nothing. No, I, yeah, there's just something me. about it. I was just like, I can't do this. Yeah. It, it took me a while. It, it didn't, the, it didn't affect my food, but it, it did feel like a definite, rite of passage. So anyway, there are, there are educational initiatives underway to replace gross anatomy with computerized or virtual models, which would probably be more than sufficient that I, I, I feel like students would lose the intangible benefit of confronting and discussing death. Frankly, you know, I wrote that, but that sounds really pompous. I, <laughs> but, I mean, I think it is, it is definitely, it, it changed me. I mean, it was like, oh, I'm actually in medical school more than any other class. I felt like mm. that was the case with gross anatomy. Yeah. It's partially because of the movie too. You know, you watch that movie. I don't know if you guys watched it. I got into medical yep. school. I'm like, I got to watch this movie. Yeah. Which one? Yeah. Gross, gross anatomy. anatomy. There's gross anatomy. Yeah. My. Matthew Modine, right? Isn't that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was um, a sequel to Gross Point Blank. Oh, I don't think and it wasn't. Was. No, I don't no. think that's true either. I'm pretty sure it was. It takes place in Michigan. Both movies take place in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing before we wrap up, I do have to give a shout out to an excellent book called Stiff by Mary Roach, which is a fascinating look at all the things that happen to us after we die. I have it's a good read. read that. It um, is a very good read. It's cool. I didn't. No, it's not a textbook. No, it's a it's a nonfiction book. It goes through kind of what happens, it, it, not the not just medical wise. school cadavers, but it, it has to do with like what happens to people, people's bodies, like logistically after they die. Yep. Did and you know you can definitely touch on? Is it Australia or there might be a in Tennessee? There's a farm that you can donate your body to. Yes, and they just they that. throw you in a field, and they it's for like crime scene investigators to figure out how bodies mm-hmm. decompose and kind of along the line of this book potentially. I think I actually I'm almost 100 percent sure the book does detail it. I think it's like the first or second chapter. Right. And is it? It's yeah, like I think I, I think I not deep that. south, but mid south. No, I I think it is Tennessee. Yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. uh it's like a forensic lab, so they can try to figure out you know how many days do maggots appear and like what size are they and try to solidify a lot of aspects of forensic science. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but uh, yeah, I, I believe it is in Tennessee. Well, this has been an uplifting episode, I'd say. <laughs> what about like packing yourself into a firework and then exploding on the 4th of July? Hunter S. Thompson style. Awesome. I think he was shot out of a cannon, though. Yeah. <laughs> Which, that's that's on my list somewhere. Or take you to the edge of the earth and drop you off because the earth is flat. <laughs> <laughs>
Gra- Only a select few. When gravity are, doesn't exist. Know the truth. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is the flatter. You know what I would well, do? <laughs> I think you should just drop you off the edge. On that note, I think that's all we have for today. We do appreciate everyone listening. If you'd like to send us a message or provide feedback, we can be reached through our website, www.poorhistorianspod.com. There you can find links to all the social media sites. We we do take emails at poorhistorianspod at gmail.com. And if you're old-fashioned, send us a telegram. i just like to say someone sent me a telegram for once in my life. Until next time, signing off. Do you have any punch cards that are actually completed, though? I, I have, did once. Yeah, once or For twice. What? Yeah. Something good? Because I get that haircut one, and I always have one punch, and then I lose the thing, and I get, like, would you like to start a punch card? I do. And you start a new one? And I start, um, yeah. <clears throat> I do have a hockey skate sharpening card that I've completed. Mm, and yeah, that makes sense. Uh, there's, a, there's a pie place up the street that I get a breakfast like hand pie every once in a while. Hand I pie. have completed one of those cards. Hand pie? That sounds like kind of a dirty move. It's, it can be. <laughs> well, if the affable gentleman from Duke Fredfersen... <laughs> give me a moment. <laughs> well, if the affable gentleman from Duke Stratfordson would give me... <laughs> Duke Stratfordson. Yeah. Right? You got it the second time. You well, got it. I was giving you a thumbs up, but you can't see it. Well, if the affable gentleman from Duke Stratfordson. <laughs> I just thought of another fun anatomy memory. Yeah. Did you, you know, because you study anatomy. I don't know why this reminded me of it, but you know, how you study anatomy. You have, there's some famous anatomy uh, um, manuals or textbooks or what, what am I looking at? Like picture books, basically. Uh, Atlas, there's a term. So there's Grant's Atlas, there's Netter's Atlas. And so these are just, you know, these beautiful pictures of anatomy with different, you know, areas of the body. But the Gray's Anatomy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a TV show. Netter's is clearly the best. I mean, Netter's is kind of the one we use. But we used to, you know, where I went to medical school, there was this coffee shop that a lot of medical students would end up at because it just was downtown in the area and, and nearby. And we, half of us lived within walking distance. And uh, there's two, there's two principles that are very much true. Number one, if you walk away from a table and your friend is there, they will absolutely open the book to the male anatomy and just leave it <laughs> wide open for everybody walking by. Or if you set nice. down the book and it opens itself, it always opens to that page. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, you got to remember where the pampiniform plexus is. I mean, that's that's the oh snap, it's always right there staring <laughs> at you. Or the yep. tunica albiginia. Yep. Dartos. Uh. Dartos tunic. <laughs> I <don't know>. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>